0: You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit AscendKC.org. But let's grab our Bibles. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 7 through 11 this morning. And I'll just tell you, you're going to need a pen and something to write on, a pen or pencil and something to write on this morning, um, specifically. So, let's just get sorted for that. Matthew 7. I'll tell you, each year at the top of the calendar, right right at January, we spend a week or so in our church intentionally focused on the discipline of prayer. And we do that not because we only want to spend a week or so on prayer, like, check, that's done. Um, on the contrary, it's because... We want to set that in our sights at the very beginning. It's like, like orienteering. I used to do orienteering when I was in, in like uh, boy camps and you'd get your compass and you'd you know, finally figure out the direction on the compass and you'd, you'd pick a landmark on the horizon. Like a summit peak or um, a, a beacon and you, that would mark the direction for your entire journey and you would just keep going and for our church each year and for us this morning maybe at the top of the summer to set our sights on what christ says about prayer and to have that firmly established on the horizon of our hearts and then keep going that is what I would hope for us. You know, what the Lord says here about prayer is probably something of a reminder. Just a reminder for us. But as we take it closely, consider it deeply this morning. I think every one of us might recognize afresh the expectancy that Christ aims to work into our hearts when he teaches on prayer. And the the understanding and insight of the heart of the Father towards us, that Christ aims to work in us, I think that we might be impacted by that afresh in particular. Have that in our sights, on the horizon of our hearts, and keep going all summer long, all lifelong. You know, our text is from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is answering the question, how do you glorify God as a follower of Jesus? What what are the kingdom citizenship instructions? And part of the answer to his question, that big question is this. We glorify God by asking him for the things we need. We glorify God by asking him for the things we need. So, So the title, Dad Says Ask, simple title, simple reminder. And as a guest, I can tell you it feels a little weird to come in here and start making you promises. But I have to because the text of Scripture is making you a promise. And here it is. Good things. Good things in your life, in your heart, in your walk are coming in response to you living this out, expectantly asking God. And you're like, oh, no, Jeff is gone for one week, and we've got a prosperity preacher in here. <laughs> no, I, I want to distinguish what Christ is saying from any sort of prosperity, theology, name it, claim it, health and wealth stuff. That's not the sort of thing the Scriptures teach. And prayer is more than just asking. If we had time this morning, it would, it would really benefit us to grow in learning how to in weave in true worship into our prayers. And to, to add more heartfelt confession into our prayers to have more biblical shaping to our prayers. Yet, we could, we could grow in all of those things. Yet, if our understanding of prayer has, has lost grasp of asking God for much, then we've let slip a major Biblical teaching about prayer. God says we should ask. Jesus says we should ask. And that our heavenly father gives good things to those who ask him. Dad says ask. So let's read the text together. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Would you pray with me? Father, it's a little meta that we come asking you in prayer right now? Asking that we would ask? Would, Would we take from your word so freely and so impactfully this direction from our Lord and Savior? We're coming right now asking together that we would learn to ask that we would learn to ask with an understanding of your heart, your heart of fierce, affectionate generosity towards your children, Lord. Lord, would you grant that to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So let me give you a little bit of a roadmap um, for our message this morning. I think we can break this text down into three pieces. There's a requirement. There's a a requirement about prayer. There's a result that Christ speaks of, right? The result of prayer. And then there's a rationale, rationale for prayer, right? A requirement, a result, and a rationale. And we'll just walk through it in that order. The first one is the requirement. What's the requirement that you see there? The requirement that Christ gives us here, his basic instruction, the command he lays out is this. Ask. Ask. It's hard to miss. That's the point Christ is making. How often does he use the term ask or one of its synonyms in this short passage? Well, let's go through it. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That's three. Then he repeats himself. To everyone who asks, to everyone who seeks, to everyone who knocks. That's six. And then he sort of opens up a view of the Father's heart, and he uses those, some of those terms again. Who, how, who of you, if your son asks, or if your son asks for this, so then your heavenly Father gives good things to those who... Ask like nine times. Did you count nine? I counted nine. Nine times in this passage. It's hard to miss the instruction. Jesus is, is preaching on the Mount. If you want to follow me, if you want to glorify God as a faith filled citizen of his kingdom, here's one of the things that you do you ask. Now, this kind of asking is probably the most emphasized instruction in Scripture about prayer, and yet I know us—we hold back. Why? Why do we hold back? If Christ makes it so clear, well, I jotted down a couple of reasons. There could be many. I jotted down a couple. I think one one reason why we hold back from asking our heavenly Father is a sense of hypocrisy. A sense of hypocrisy. That, that, we, that we may be living with unconfessed sin that God has been convicting us of. We've been prideful with our spouse. We've been harsh with our kids. Maybe we've, we've been self-indulgent in some area of our life. Or there may be a real break in integrity somewhere, and we don't want to go to Him in prayer about that. So we avoid Him. We avoid prayer altogether. Or we just go completely formal in our prayers. You know what I mean? Just saying some things, I got to pray some prayers. Still avoiding God. And then when we need to approach the throne of grace to come to him asking for what we need, we just don't. Obviously, that's the wrong way to handle that. The right way to handle that is to come to him in repentance. Come to him in repentance in prayer, knowing that Christ, and based on his sin-taking work on the cross, on our behalf, in Christ, God has grace and mercy and growth for us when we come in repentance. Repentance is effectively grace reception. And the beautiful thing about that grace reception is that you can go to him in repentance, in prayer, any time. Best time would have been a long time ago. Next best time right now. Come to him repenting in response to conviction, and then come to him asking. So then there's more coming to him, not less. I think we also, we also hold back in asking the Father because we forget his heart toward us. We forget that he's a fiercely affectionate, generous Father, it slips our minds. We walk as though he's not. And Jesus is speaking directly to our understanding of the Father's heart here. We ask because your heart towards your kids is nothing compared to his heart toward you. And he says, ask. He's fiercely affectionate and generous. And he welcomes your repentance with mercy. So come and ask. Now, it's true that we should not think of asking God for things like asking Santa Claus for things. It's actually way better than that. You're asking dad. Like in my house, if you're asking Santa for things, that is a thin maybe. But if you ask dad, you're going to get stuff. I am coming through for you, kiddo. You're going to get good things. It may be exactly what you asked for. It may be reshaped for you. It will probably come with some fatherly wisdom and character development because I love you. But dad wants good things for you. and He's going to give them. The Bible does not promote selfishness or worldliness or name it and claim it stuff. And we'll get into all of that. But before we do, let's let Christ's instruction shine in our hearts for what it is. Let's take care not to, not to shield it and shade it and block the light of Christ's basic instructions with so many oversized caveats that by the time we're done, our hearts are dark with prayerlessness once again. Or the prayers we do pray are dark with a lack of expectancy. Let's let Christ's instruction Stand and shine brightly for what it is, and it's this. Ask. What would you ask for? If we're, if we're taking Christ as his word, if we're taking Christ seriously, and he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened. This is God's heart to you, the heart of a generous father What would you ask for? What would you persistently and for kingdom good come to your heavenly father and ask for? Let's think of two. I I said you're going to need a pen or something to write with and something to write on. Let's think of two. Write them down one, two, and leave room for the third. You want to do that? What would you ask for? Just take a moment. This is what I would ask for. The first and the second. And then leave room for a third one. You don't want to lose them. You don't want Christ's instruction for expectant prayer to just stay here in this room. And this is the requirement. Ask. Ask. Now, if that's Christ's plain requirement, what is the result? It's it's also just as plain. (laughs) The plain requirement is ask. The plain result is this. You will receive. You will receive. He says in verses 7 and 8, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, to whom, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It's an amazing promise. It's so amazing that people like us, me, Pastor Jeff, I mean, we, we are eager to jump in there with some biblical caveats, because we don't want anybody to get the wrong idea, Right? We kind of itch all over. I get it. Because we don't want people to get the wrong idea. This is an amazing promise. So let's do it. Let's jump into the biblical caveats. There are other instructions we have in Scripture regarding how we should pray. Possibly the main instruction is this. Ask And then there are a handful of ways that the Bible says, don't ask. Let's hit them. Make us all feel better. Let's hit them. The Bible says, ask. But don't ask selfishly. Don't ask selfishly. James makes that plain in James chapter 4. It says you do not have because you do not ask. So there he is on the main thing again. Or you ask with wrong motives. You ask selfishly to spend on your passions, right? So the Bible is saying there also, ask, be sure to ask. And don't ask selfishly. Also, the Bible says don't ask and then give up. Don't ask and then give up. Ask persistently. Christ gives us the parable of the persistent widow. And Luke tells us specifically, and Christ told this parable to the effect that we should always ask and not give up. So don't ask and then give up. Here's a third Don't ask that the Bible teaches. Don't ask against God's will. Don't ask against God's will. Well, how do we know what that is? Well, he's he's presented his will to us, his precepts and his promises. That's how the, the Puritan prayer book, the Valley of the Vision puts it. Lord, teach me to pray in accordance with your precepts and your promises. And 1 John says something to the effect of this is the confidence that we have that if we ask in accordance with his will, that we know that we have received from him. So, Lord, teach us to pray in accordance with your precepts and promises, not against what you've taught, not against what you've promised. We, want, we don't want to pray against your will. Here's a fourth biblical don't ask. Don't ask not believing. Don't ask not believing. James chapter 1. Let those who ask, let them ask in faith without doubting. The one who doubts is is like a a wave tossed to and fro uh, by the wind. So we don't ask just throwing it out. I'm just throwing this out, God. I don't know if you can do anything about this. I don't know what your heart towards me is. I'm just going to throw it out there. James says, that's no way to pray. That's no way to ask. Don't ask like that. Here's the fifth, and I think perhaps the one that we need to attend to most often and most carefully the Bible says, don't ask with something between you and God or between you and someone else. Don't ask like that. Don't ask with unresolved relational stuff. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, right, right prior to this in Matthew chapter 5, Christ says, if You come to worship. You come to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Then come and offer your gift. God cares about your unresolved relational stuff. This is a kingdom concern. So much that when you come to him, his first instruction is stop. Go deal with that. There's urgency there. Coming to God in prayer should automatically trigger, I need to go talk to so-and-so. I do. And I'm not saying that you can't pray without having done that. Just guess what's at the top of your prayer list? You and so and so. Okay. Those biblical caveats, we've run them down. Do we feel better now? (laughs) No. Don't ask selfishly, don't ask and give up, don't ask against his will, don't ask not believing. Don't ask with something between you and God or between you and someone else. Because we have those in view. Now, with those in view, with those in view, we want to mark on the horizon of our hearts, understanding those things, Christ is teaching me I should go and ask. I should expect to receive. A guy named Andy Jones recently wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition about this sort of thing. And uh, I just want to read you an excerpt from it. It's a long excerpt, but I've been told that Jeff goes long here, so... Just read for you. The title of the article is Beware the Scarcity Gospel. Beware the Scarcity Gospel by Andy Jones. He says Is it possible that some of us, having rightly rejected the prosperity gospel, have subtly succumbed to another insidious belief we could call the scarcity gospel? The assumption that we should expect God to do little through our churches or through our witness. We don't expect to see people come to faith in surprising numbers through our churches. We don't expect to see a work of God's Spirit sweep through our churches and strengthen the faith of our congregants and see our community change. We expect little, and that may be what we actually experience. And he references James 4, we have not because we ask not. What might repenting of the scarcity gospel yield? What might invigorate our prayer life from the normal list to bold requests of God's transforming power? It might change our expectations of what the preaching and the teaching of God's Word can actually accomplish in the hearts of those who freely and powerfully receive it. It might change what we believe God will do with the financial gifts that we contribute to His kingdom's advance. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's right for us to avoid, name it, claim it, prosperity theology, but understanding that and being aware of the specific ways that the Bible says don't ask, let's confidently remember the main thing. Dad says, ask me, and he loves to give his children good things. In fact, among all of the caveats that we've covered, here's one that doesn't show up in Scripture at all. Don't ask too big. In fact, God loves to say this about himself. Is there anything too hard, to me? Is there anything too hard for me? He says to the, the prophet Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And one of my favorite things about church planting was being put in a position where big things had to be given by God and they weren't really gonna come from any other way that we could tell. And some of you might remember that here at Ascend Church as well. It's watching God answer big prayers in amazing ways. One of my favorite pictures from those days is a picture that I think most people would find rather unremarkable. It's just a picture of like five people standing around a chair, and there's like a piece of printer paper taped to the chair. And now I know that at the same time, there were groups of other people standing around other chairs with their own printer paper. And on each of those sheets were things that we needed. they a church plant. We need stuff, big stuff. We don't know where it's going to come from, which is to say we don't know what means God is going to use to give it because we do know where it's going to come from source-wise. It's going to have to come from God. And there we were praying big, hairy, audacious prayers. I don't remember who first coined the phrase, big, hairy, audacious prayers, behaps. We had lots of behaps and then we watched God give good things to his children i know that has been true at ascend through the planting through the moving to a set-up and tear-down situation. Nobody does that. And then from there, moving here, and COVID, and all of that, and, and not, just, not just the trellis, not just the structure and the building, but the, the spiritual vitality of this church— Big, hairy, audacious prayers for spiritual growth and life change and people coming to faith and leaders being developed and the work of God amongst us. And God responds to the prayers of his people. And I can tell you that. And Pastor Jeff can tell you that. And Jesus tells us that. And God never says, Don't ask too big. On the contrary, he says, Is there anything too hard for me? Yeah, I know it's too big for you. I know you can't handle it. Is there anything too hard for me? Well, did you leave a a room for a third prayer there? One, two, and leave room for a third? Let's, let's go for a third. Let's go behap on this one. Knowing that Christ says, ask and you will receive, and, and, and avoiding selfishness and everything else that the Bible teaches us how not to ask, but what would you persistently and for kingdom good pray that just seems like a big, hairy, audacious prayer? Can you write that down? Will you let that be your third prayer request? And maybe even as I ask you to do that, you're feeling like that held back feeling. Maybe there's some sin you need to bring to God first. Maybe that prayer of repentance and grace reception is needed. Well, don't hesitate. Maybe you need to be humbly willing for God to reshape and transform your heart even as you're bringing your request. Okay. Or maybe there's a sense of holding back because we forget that God is a fiercely, affectionate, generous father. And I hope you're remembering that right now, and I hope you'll see that even more clearly and sharply before we're done this morning. Go ahead, write down your big, hairy, audacious prayer. So, recap, Matthew 7. We see a requirement, requirement about prayer, ask. We see a result you will receive. And then there's this rationale. Christ gives us this rationale for prayer. We could put it this way. Your Father gives good things to those who ask him. Your father gives good things to those who ask him. He's your father. He's your dad. And in verses 9 through 11, Christ compares an earthly father to your heavenly father. Let's read it. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I love how Christ doesn't just give the requirement. He doesn't just say, here's my command to you, ask. He could. I mean, he's the Lord. He could just give us a bald command. And he doesn't just give us the result either. Ask and you'll receive. That's what you need to know. He gives us what I think We most often need to see, and that's God's heart. To see God's heart for his kids. I have a five-year-old son. Um, It just sort of happened. Uh, I've got a a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and then five. He is my Grandchild in training. <laughs> it's kind of how we treat him. Uh, and his, his, his brothers and his sister do too. They, they kind of treat him more like they're like aunt and, and, and uncles to this kid than like siblings. And my 16 year old daughter um, took me to five below. You I mean, it's know, like, it's like the dollar store, but with inflation. And, and she says, Dad, I think Stephen, that's my five-year-old, I think Stephen would, like, love, like, half of the things that are in the store. And so we bought, like, half of the things that are in the store, just putting it in the basket. Anything that we thought would make his eyes light up, we wanted to give him. And here's the question Do you think that my heart towards my son is more affectionately generous than God's heart toward you? I promise you it's not. God's heart, He loves to give good things to His children. And I love to give things to my kids, especially when they ask. Why? Well, it's not because I don't know what they want. Well, sometimes I don't know what they want, God always knows. So God isn't responding to your asking because he didn't know before and needed to like inform him. And it's not because I need to be goaded or nagged. I love to give good things to my kids. And God does not need to be goaded or nagged. But here's the thing. When I give to them, responding to their asking, There is a clear opportunity for them to see, to perceive, to taste and experience my heart toward them. When they've asked me specifically for this thing, and then I come through for them, it's like, I see you. You know, we talked about this. You, you asked for the 64 set of crayons, and I got you the 128 set with the sharpener in the back, but we talked about crayons. Crayons have become a clear opportunity for you to taste and see my heart towards you. I want good things for you. I hope you know that. And in prayer, you come to him in faith specifically saying, God, I think this is a true and biblical blessing. Lord, would you grant this? And it becomes a clear opportunity for you to see God's heart toward you. And then as he provides, you see in a special way, you experience you, you taste the heart God has for you. That Scripture tells us is his heart towards you. That the Holy Spirit tells you is his heart towards you. That the gospel shows us is his heart toward you. So whether we're seeing it or not, whether we're, whether we're perceiving it experientially or not, it's true and we trust it. And then God uses this and just shows it to you. Because he talked about this. He's like, I see you. And we need to know that heart. Maybe more than most things in this Christian life, we need knowing and believing and trusting the heart God has for his kids. And this is what Christ is conveying. And you know, God has not been generous to us because we've always been great kids. Right? His heart of affectionate generosity towards us is not because we did great on the entrance exam into his family. On the contrary, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we miss this a lot. Maybe the most frequent obstacle to prayer is this. We've lost our sense of God's affectionate generosity, which is another way of saying we've lost our sense of the gospel. But that's what it all started with, right? Your sonship, your daughterhood, your, your childhood in God's family started with God's fierce generosity toward you in Christ. You didn't have a righteousness of your own, and God gave you Christ's righteousness. And what you needed then and what you need now is grace, and He has generously given Jesus Jesus knows the Father's generosity. Even as he's sitting there teaching on the mount, he knows that he himself is the Father's gift to sinners. And he says, he gives good things. How knowing is that? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him give us all things? That's my hope for us. Not just that we become a people who ask Yes, ask persistently and biblically and big and believing. Yes to all of that. But that also we grow as people who taste God's heart of fierce, affectionate generosity towards his children. And that we would continue to walk in it. That we would ask, that we would receive, and that we would know the Father gives good things. He gave you Jesus. He gave you himself. And that we would have that marked out on the horizon of our hearts, and all summer, all our lives, we would just keep going that way. And it would explode our prayer lives. And the confidence that we have to come to Him in repentance. He gave you Jesus. Grace is coming, mercy's coming. Approach confidently the throne of grace and receive grace for everything that you bring in repentance. Lord, I need mercy for this. I need mercy. I haven't wanted to talk to you about this. I haven't wanted to approach you about this. I've been avoiding you. There's so many things I would want to talk to you about, but this is the thing. And do it. And ask for everything else. Because he gives good things.